Welcome in. It's the Two Star Hawkeye Podcast. I'm Corey Lathrop coming to you on a beautiful Thursday afternoon, just a few short days before Iowa's Outback Bowl matchup against Florida. We'll dive into that in this podcast. Iowa basketball took one on the chin and kind of got smacked back to reality last night against Purdue. We'll talk about that a little bit in uh, where this team could go moving forward. There's certainly a lot of winnable games, but Iowa kind of went back to reality. Whoop, there goes gravity last night. That that was a that was a really good basketball team that Iowa went up against and a team that is strongest where Iowa is very weak at this point. Um, but real quick, before we get into the nitty-gritty, an update on where this podcast is going to go moving forward. Um, this is this is something that I love to do. I, I it's it's something it's a labor of love of mine because I love the Hawkeyes. And I love talking about the Hawkeyes. Um, so it's a it's a it's a marriage made in whatever. Um, but I it's time is time is really short. I have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, surrounding the Creighton basketball program, working here in Omaha, and that greatly limits my ability to really focus and watch Iowa enough to be able to talk about it and put out a good product on this podcast. And that's been that's always going to be my goal. And if I can't give you a good product, then I it, I, I would rather not do it than half-ass it and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's so. And with that, I also want to make sure that if I if I if I brought on a different co-host to this thing, I think I would have a really hard time meshing with schedules um, because that's that's something that I mean selfishly that's something that I'm not going to really budge on. I mean with a with a baby coming later on next year, uh, just really busy at work. And I, I want to be able to spend my evenings with with my wife and my eventual uh, child later on next year. So I I really like to be able to do this podcast when I want to do it, and it's it's just easier to do it by myself. Um, so I can call all the shots at that point. Uh, and that's not to say that I won't be bringing on guests on here. We might I might come up with some different ideas with with what we can do over the course of the summer and kind of the dead period when there's no Iowa football and basketball going on. Um, but for right now, this is going to remain a solo venture. Um, I hope you guys like it. I hope I, I hope I do a good enough job to pique your interest doing this thing by myself. Uh, let me know um, some of the things that you want out of this thing because I know that you've got a bevy of Iowa podcast to choose from, not counting this one. Uh, so I, I want to make sure that I'm not wasting your guys' time and giving you something that you actually want to want to listen to on a weekly basis. Um, but 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 a timetable here, considering that I uh, I mean honestly, guys, the amount of times I've been able to just sit down and watch Iowa basketball this season. I mean, we might be talking about maybe three, four games, and a lot of those I'm watching in passing because I'm preparing to, uh, I'm I'm preparing for my next Creighton pregame show, uh, or I'm watching Creighton play, and 
with that, I can't I can't give you the hard hitting basketball. <laughs> I can't give you that hard hitting basketball talk that you guys probably want because you guys have watched them more than I have. Um, I mean, I think I, I know enough to talk about them for a little bit, but I can't give it my I can't give it everything that I have like like I have in the past. So if I if I just don't have anything, then there won't be a podcast that week, and and that's that's just that's just how it's going to be, and um, I think it'll be fine. There's always going to be football to talk about. Um, I am able to talk about football. That it lends itself for me to watch football a lot more than basketball. Um, so that that's that. Um, we'll try to get maybe get some some guests on here. Uh, I've got some decent connections with some good college basketball guests and college football guests. We can get them on this podcast over the course of the year, and hopefully we can just uh, we can keep this train moving. But but uh, for the time being, this is going to be primarily a solo podcast. So uh, send me send me your feedback on this. I'm open to anything and everything. Send it to me on Twitter at CJ Lathrop. So let's dive into it. Purdue knocks off Iowa 89-67 to in West Lafayette last night. Uh, and it was a game that I kind of expected. I, I wanted Iowa to be able to battle a little bit more than, than I thought that than they, than they ended up fighting. Um, really poor first half on both sides of the basketball, offensively and defensively. Purdue was able to live in the paint, but also do some nice things on the perimeter and but but the open lanes were most concerning to me. They Purdue was just able to drive to the basket without much uh without much resistance at all put on by the Iowa defense. But the theme of this season is always going to be as Peter Jock goes, so does Iowa. And with that, Jock cannot go 4 of 15 and 1 of 7 from 3 and expect to compete with a team like Purdue. That just can't happen. In every single game, if my memory serves, that Iowa has played really well, that meant Peter Jock has played really well. And unfortunately, just given the situation and how he's kind of got to carry this team, him playing well means scoring in the 20s. That's that's just how that is. Um, he put up 13 last night, um, but, but, but he never was able to make any kind of impact on the game. You, you never felt his presence over the course of the game. Um, two starters last night get held off of the scoreboard. Isaiah Moss, he had a really nice few weeks coming up into this into this game, starting with the Iowa State win. Uh, I was kind of wondering when he would fall back to earth because, look, guys, there's – there's a reason why he was left out of the starting lineup at the beginning of the season uh, to begin with. Uh, it's it's not like this guy is is Michael Jordan. He's He's got flaws. And I was wondering when he would kind of fall back to earth, and that came last night. And he wasn't alone. A lot of guys fell back to earth. Uh, Ahmad Wagner is another guy that gave Iowa nothing, no kind of production whatsoever, only one rebound. And that's – I'm okay – I mean, I guess I shouldn't say I'm okay with him not scoring in the game. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not okay with that. You want to get at least a few points out of your big man. But what, but what bothers me the most is that in 13 minutes of gameplay, he's only given you one rebound. That's your job, Ahmad. Like that's that's what 
you're on the floor to do. You need to control the you need to control the paint and grab some rebounds. And against Purdue, you're not going to out rebound them. That's just that's not going to happen. I mean, the final rebounding numbers weren't bad. Purdue only out rebounded Iowa by two, but you're not you're not going to make a ton of impact rebounding the basketball. But you got to pull down more than one. That's that that can't happen. Um, leading rebounder of the game was Nicholas Bear. I've got no issues with how he played last night. Twenty seven minutes off the bench, pulled down seven rebounds. Um, that, that guy is, I, I, I like that Fran has moved him off of the starting lineup. I just think that he, he gives you way more impact coming off the bench as that energy guy, uh, rather than, rather than the starter. And is some, some of you might wonder, you know what, why can't you bring the same type of energy, whether you're starting or whether you're coming off the bench? It looks some, some guys are just different than others. And Nicholas bear is a guy that just, it suits him better to come off the bench and be a six man. Um, Tyler Cook made a return to the starting lineup, had a much better, not to not to the starting lineup, but he did play last night, 22 minutes for Cook, uh, had a much better second half than, than a first half, and that was to be expected. I figured, especially given the environment and the team they were playing, it was going to take Tyler Cook a little bit to get comfortable, but we saw two nice dunks in the second half. It looked like he was creating a little bit more of a rhythm uh, so hopefully that means good things moving forward uh, for him. And right now, I mean, if if I was if I was Fran McCaffrey, because he's got he's got a lot of guys vying for minutes, but uh, the problem is it's not like he's got a giant collection of guys that are doing excellent things that are demanding minutes. Some guys need to be kind of on the chopping block for minutes. So right now. If I was on, if I was Fran McCaffrey and I was constructing my starting five, I would start with Cordell Pemsel at the. I mean, these guys could be interchangeable, um, but I'm starting Tyler Cook and Cordell Pemsel together. I, I don't, I don't really understand the argument as to why these two can't play together. I think they absolutely can. I, I think Iowa's front court would be would be pretty damn good starting these two guys down low. And then Isaiah Moss is still in the starting lineup, Peter Jock, obviously, and then Jordan Bohannon. So Pemsel, Cook, Moss, Bohannon, Jock. And then guys off of your bench, first man, obviously, Nicholas Bear, Brady. Brady Ellingson is an interesting one. I can't decide um, just simply because he's so inconsistent. I can't decide whether or not I want him on the floor. But it, Brady, Brady, if he's hitting shots, you got to play him. But if he's not hitting shots, you can't play him, and it's kind of like the uh, kind of like the Zach Han- Zach Hansen. I'm thinking about Creighton. It's kind of like the Zach McCabe uh, treatment uh, from a few years ago, and Fran didn't control him this way. But I always thought with him, if he's hitting shots, go ahead and play him. He's a guy that can get hot and can and can hit a lot of shots for you. But if his shot isn't falling, he doesn't give you much otherwise. He he was he's not a great defender. He's not a good rebounder. Um, Brady Ellingson certainly uh, not a great rebounder, but he's not called to do that. Um, but if he's hitting shots, you got to play him. I mean, you, you can never have enough shooters, and you can have never have enough guards. So if Brady Ellingson is making shots, you got to play him. Christian Williams, I mean, he's the only real backup point guard on this team. So you have to continue to play him. So right, so right there, you're seven deep, um, seven or eight deep. After that, man, I I don't know. And the glaring one is Dom Yule. 
Now, coming into the year, actually, let's let's go back a couple years. Dom Mule's freshman season. It was uh, Aaron White's senior season when Iowa beat Dayton in the NCAA tournament. So that year, Dom Mule looked like he was starting to figure things out in the second half of the Big Ten schedule. He, he was a high-energy guy. He bowled down a few rebounds. He showed the ability to drive to the basket but also make the three. He looked like a guy that was slowly going to blossom into a really good college basketball player. Last year, he he didn't really appear to grow that much. And, it, and at some points, it looked like maybe he's regressed. And so I thought watching him last year, I said, you know, maybe maybe there's a thing to this sophomore slump, but he's still got plenty of career to go. This season, through 14 games, Dom Yule hasn't shown any kind of positive improvement. None. He sometimes he looks disinterested out there. He doesn't look like he's clicking with his teammates. He certainly doesn't appear to be meshing with a lot of the new faces that are on this team. Um, but just because of experience, I think Fran thinks that he has to play him. But last night he gives you nothing. He gave you nothing. Just just two points last night in ten minutes. Dom Yule's in a position right now where his minutes drastically need to decrease if not completely taken away, because he's not giving you anything. I mean, I know, I know he's a junior, and next year he's going to be a senior, and, but, but right now, I, just, I don't see it with him. And what bothers me the most is just that lack of interest. And he, it looks like when he gets open shots, he's scared to take them. And, man, if you have a player out there that's scared, you can't play him. You just can't. Now, Fran is dealing with a handful of guys like Pemsel, Moss, Bohannon, Bear, that are going to dramatically affect his program for years to come. Dom Mule, after next season, he's out. So I, I know that that's uh, that that he's got quite a bit of time left here, but his time is is growing short as this season continues. And if he's not going to improve, he can't see the floor because he I don't I don't honestly guys I don't know what he does well. And I don't mean to trash the guy, but that's it's the reality of the situation we're in. I don't know what Dom Yule gives you. If he's scared to shoot. Okay, maybe you look at the defensive end. He's not great. Def- he's not a good defender either. He's not. He's not really savvy on the boards. And he turns the ba- and he turns the basketball over. So I just I don't know what he gives you. So if if there's one guy that I that I'm just cutting his minutes, right now it's Dom Yule. Now I hope because that, that's not going to happen. Dom Yule's going to continue to play. So I hope that I hope that he shows some kind of improvement as the Big Ten season wears on. Because I mean, with a guy a guy with experience, that's that's somebody that that this team really needs. But right now, Dom Yule is doing nothing to 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 help this thing move along. So after after last night, uh, Iowa will play again on New Year's Day at one fifteen. At Carver against Michigan, that Michigan's a team that that can be beaten. That's that that's a ten and three team. But just looking at Michigan, uh, just looking at Michigan's schedule, they haven't really played anybody. 
They the only ranked team they've played so far this year was UCLA, and they lost to them by 18. Other than that, it's just a handful of of patsies. They they lost at South Carolina. That's the other tough game that they played. They beat Texas, but man, Texas is a mess. Other than that, it's it's no quality wins whatsoever for Michigan. So that's that's a game at home that Iowa has to get. That's they they have to get that game. So if Iowa gets that win, then they then they have to travel to Nebraska a week from today and. Uh, I certainly don't think Nebraska is as good as what we saw last night when they beat Indiana and Bloomington. And I also don't think that they're as bad uh, as the team that we saw lose to Gardner-Webb. So that, that's a team, depending on which Nebraska team shows up, and frankly, depending on which Iowa team shows up. Um, that That's a game that Iowa could win, but I could also see Nebraska getting that game at home. Then you, you come back home uh, to Rutgers, and that's a game that you should win. So right now, just looking at that three-game snapshot, I think Iowa needs to go two and three at the very least. At the very least. Get those two games at home and then see what you can do in Lincoln because Purdue's coming back to town on the 12th, and that's that's just another game that Iowa's going to drop. I that That's just a terrible matchup for Iowa. I don't care where they play that game. Purdue's going to beat Iowa, and, and that's that's just that. Um, but there's opportunities out there in a very weak Big Ten for Iowa to get some wins and possibly make a push at the NIT, and that and that would be that would be a huge accomplishment for this group. I mean, just an absolutely huge accomplishment. But uh, you know, other other Big Ten teams are looking at Iowa in the same way. You know, in in a weak Big Ten, we can get we can beat Iowa because Iowa's not that great. That's that's the reality right now. But for a young Iowa team, last night didn't ruin everything that they've built up to this point. But they, they need to get themselves off the mat, and it's got to start on New Year's Day. All right, moving to football, Iowa and Florida in the Outback Bowl. Give you some thoughts on that game. I mean, I'll be straight up with you guys right now. I think Iowa's going to win this game. I'm just – I'm not – I'm not impressed by Florida at all, and frankly, outside of Alabama, I'm not impressed with the entire SEC. And I think we're going to see the I think we're going to see the real strength of the Southeastern Conference show itself as we advance into bowl season these next few days. But with Florida, their offense is a complete mess, and I know Iowa's offense isn't great either. But Florida has not scored. Over 30 points since October 15th when they beat Missouri 40-14. to Just counting the times Florida has scored over 30 points this season. One, two, three, and that's it. They've scored over 30 points three times, and two of those games came in the – no, one of those games came in the non-con because they played Kentucky the second game of the year. Um, but one of those games came against North Texas. So th- this this Florida offense is an absolute mess. And I look at how both teams finished up the regular season. I'm a big proponent on picking teams during bowl se- during uh, bowl season that a want to be there and b how did you finish the regular season? We all know how Iowa finished the regular season. You, they 
knocked off Michigan at home, beat Illinois, and then uh, just absolutely thrashed Nebraska. Well, Florida, they are limping into the postseason. They got rocked by Florida State 31-13 to finish the regular season and then got crushed by Alabama 54-16 in the SEC title game. What, where is this team psyche at coming into this bowl game? Do they want to be here? Are they or do do they, do they just want their season to be over with? I, I'm I'm leaning towards Iowa being the more motivated bunch coming into this game, and all of the parallels. And I think these started with an article written by uh, Scott Docterman. Just the the parallels between how they finished this season compared to 2008 and I see them man playing well in the month of November finishing uh, winning your last three football games and then playing a team because that 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 Iowa team played South Carolina very similar that that South Carolina team had a pretty good defense but their offense was really shaky and Iowa was able to take advantage of that Um, but let's just pull up South Carolina's 2008 season and see how they they wrapped things up coming in. And look, it's exactly how Florida is finishing up this season. They lost their they lost their last two games of the regular season, got blasted by 50 against Florida, and then they lost 31 to 14 in their rivalry game against Clemson. So so many parallels between those two coming in. And I, I think Iowa, even though it's in the state of Florida, I think Iowa's going to have a pretty strong contingent of fans down in Tampa for this game. Um, and it it just seems like Iowa is just a lot more loose than Florida at this point. So I just I, I think I, I'm really leaning Iowa in this game. But I also think this game is going to go exactly how everybody says it's going to because Florida still does have a very good defense. And no matter what's happened, defense normally travels in college football. So we've got a matchup between two teams that have really stout defenses and a matchup between two teams that have really shaky offenses. And it's going to all depend on whose offense can break the other's defense first. And given how Iowa's ended the regular season, I think that offense got some things figured out. I think that they're really going to ride Daniels and Wadley in this game. This game feels like a matchup for Akron Wadley, and it's because of the superior athlete advantage that Florida has on the defensive side of the ball. When going up against defenses that have really great athletes, Akron Wadley seems to get the call there. That's no no shade being thrown on LaShawn Daniels, but Akram Wadley is a superior athlete. So I think I think you're going to see a ton of Akram in this game uh, mixed in with some LaShawn Daniels. And the the big thing is, is that I think that Iowa is going to need to convert some pass attempts in this game too. You're I'm not CJB doesn't need to throw for 250 and three touchdowns, but he's going to need to be able to find some holes in this defense. And I think against Nebraska, we saw them be able to do that. I mean, the case in point, the long touchdown to McCarron. Iowa's going to. I think. I think you're going to have to run some rub routes and, and some and some crossers to to get some open receivers. 
and CJB's got to be able to find those guys. Um, so I think that given all that, we're going to see a ton of punting in this game. Don't don't worry, guys. There's going to be a ton of Ron Kaluzzi featured in this game. But when it's all said and done, I think Iowa's offense is going to be able to poke holes in Florida's defense a little bit more than Florida's offense is going to be able to find some success against Iowa's defense. And I think we're even going to see an either a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown. And I think it's going to come from Desmond King. I think I think this is the game. I know he had that pick six against Purdue, but I think this is the game that this is a game that really suits Desmond King. I think Austin Apple I think Iowa's defense is going to force Austin Appleby into some into some bad decisions. And those lead to turnovers. I think Desmond King is going to get an interception, and I I think that I think on a punt return or a kick return because we've seen him get close on a few opportunities this year. I think he finally breaks one in this game. So I like Iowa to beat Florida, twenty four to fourteen, and I think Florida adds a late touchdown to make this game seem a little bit closer than it actually was. So that's this week's podcast, but you guys aren't done yet. Uh, I was able to fill in on our morning show on 1620 The Zone on Monday morning and just so happened to get to talk to Gary Dolphin. So at the end of this, I'm going to play for you an interview that I did with Matt Verzal on Monday morning with the voice of the Hawkeyes, Gary Dolphin. Enjoy your New Year's, everybody, and go Hawks. Gary, Iowa did no doubt finish the season very strong, earned themselves a spot in the January 2nd Bowl, the Outback Bowl against Florida. As you look at this game and you start to break this down, Iowa, I think it will be interesting to me to watch to see if they can can impart their physical will on Florida, who plays it. Probably a little different style of football, more speed-based. But I think Iowa controlling line of scrimmage wins or loses this game for them. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. I think I think uh, when, when you look at any any uh, New Year's Day-type bowl, uh, you, you've got quality opponents facing each other. And, and uh, th- this is an interesting matchup. Uh, and, and I've heard this down through the years, and you guys have too. Uh, you know, if you're in the SEC and you're not playing in the uh, – national championship game or you're not in the playoffs like in Alabama, you know, how bad do you want to be there? Typically you can, you can slap that label on, on LSU and on a Florida, how bad do they want to be there with what they consider to be a secondary bowl? I can promise you, Iowa considers the Outback bowl, a, a, a terrific bowl, a great bowl. And Nebraska will get there and, and they'll say the same thing, I'm sure, but it's a great city. It's a great environment. And, and I, I expect Iowa to play just like they did at the end of the year. I, plus the fact that they get some guys back that they didn't have against Nebraska or certainly uh, didn't have it 100%. Uh, you know, George Kittle, the tight end, who caught two touchdown passes in that game, was about 65-70%. He'll be 100%, and you guys know how much Iowa depends on the tight end. But, you know, when I when I look at the uh, the matchup here, it's really the uh, the athleticism and the speed of the Gators against the physicality of the Hawkeyes. Uh, Iowa was just accorded the Joe Moore Offensive Line of the Year Award two weeks back, and, and I think they'll really be pumped up and, and living off the, those accolades and, and, and play even better. They've had seven different starting lineups in the offensive line, but I, I think it's a, a testament to, again, 
Iowa's history and tradition of, of developing quality offensive linemen, the, the you know next man in type of theory, and so that has carried them. You know, two things in this win streak. If I had to list them in order of importance, it's number one, uh, stop the run, which Iowa's done a much better job of than than earlier in the year, and number two, run the football. And uh, you watched the same game I did with Akram Wadley and LaShawn Daniels. Iowa has a heck of a one-two punch. And, and C.J. Beathard, although that left knee has bothered him all year long, can still make plays in the passing game. The issue has been uh, at the other end, the wide receivers. They, they, they just haven't been solid all year long for a, a variety of reasons. And so Iowa's going to go to the tight end. They're going to go to the tailbacks, and, and they're going to try and run the ball right down Florida's throat. And, and I've heard forever that if, you, if you're facing a defense that is quick and athletic like the Gators, you know, it starts with their linebackers. I remember when Wilbur Marshall played linebacker at Florida. It hasn't changed much, but uh, they've got uh, Killen Johnson and David Reese, our two guys that just fly to the football. They've got outstanding athleticism in the back end. So that tells me that the Hawks are going to have to go with that run, that downhill run game, get Wadley to the outside and, and have him make a play. Uh, flip On the flip side of it, I think it's an advantage for the Iowa defense in that a quarterback is Austin Appleby, who, as you guys know, played three years, yeah. uh, four years at yeah. Purdue. And, and uh, now, granted, uh, Purdue is not Florida. The Gators have put better players around Appleby than than, uh, than Purdue could. But at least Iowa has a, a lot of game tape that they can go back. And, and, and as I remember, they, they, they got some turnovers on Austin when he was uh, down in West Lafayette. Uh, but but they, they, they moved the ball through the air. They've got outstanding receivers, uh, Tyree Cleveland, Eddie Pinero. they got guys, uh, or excuse me, Antonio Callaway. they got guys that are going to be playing on Sunday in the NFL. Their running game is fine, uh, but but they get it done throwing the football. And, and I think the way uh, with Desmond King in the back end leading that secondary and Josie Jewell, who uh, if he's not the best middle linebacker in college football, he's certainly one of the top five. Uh, I just like Iowa's back end against Florida's rushing game, or uh, passing game. And, so I, I think when you when you line it all up, I, I like I like where the Hawks sit. I really do. Gary, Gary, uh, Coach Ferentz has been very vocal against the notion that uh, bowl games outside of the the playoff or the New Year's Six are quote meaningless. Where where do you stand on that and just the importance of bowl games like the Outback Bowl that Iowa is in? And how have you seen that throughout your broadcasting career act as a springboard into the next season? Well, I, I think it's uh, where, and I'm, I'm not trying to put words in Kirk's mouth, but I think where he's coming from is uh, it, it gets you another 30 to 40 days of, of practices and preparation. Uh, I know Iowa uses it, and I'm sure Nebraska does too, to coach up the younger guys that are going to be playing next year that perhaps didn't get a lot of snaps this year. You know what the regulars can do. So you give them enough work in that 30-day period, but they're more in the film room. They're more in coaching sessions. They're more looking at the opponent. Uh, day-to-day uh, off the practice field. Uh, the, the backups and the, and the redshirt freshmen and the redshirts are the guys that get most of the work during that 30 days. I think that's really advantageous. And then uh, you head into spring practice, uh, I, I think, two blocks ahead of the, uh, the, the teams that didn't get to bowl games. I, I think the big picture, uh, he, he probably, if you put some truth serum in it, would probably tell you that there are too many bowls. Uh, once you get down to to, to uh, you know the ones that are starting around the 20th of December before Christmas, but bottom line is it's the holiday. Uh, people cannot get enough of college football. Uh, you know, ESPN and Fox and CBS Sports uh, TV they all have inventory and they need to fill that inventory 
And what do you do? Do you run reruns of last year's shows or do you run college football bowl games live? And and to me, you know, TV drives this, uh, uh, whatever it was, 60, 70 teams that are playing in bowl games. But when you get to uh, the New Year's Six and, and the bowl games that are played, uh, I, I think now, starting this week through uh, the 9th of January, uh, th- those are what really get people fired up. So I, I think there's a different interest level. But, I mean, uh, look at Miami of Ohio uh, yesterday. Uh, uh, the Hawks played them on opening day and, and won quite handily. And they lost their first six games of the season. They're sitting there at 0-6. They get their quarterback back, and they peel off six straight wins and get to a bowl game. And that, that's a great story and, and, and deserving of getting to a bowl, in my view, or at least some type of postseason. So I'm, I'm all for the bowls. Uh, I, I think uh, it, it's, it's a good lathering up for the, for the final four, the playoffs. Uh, and 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 it gives it does give teams absolutely a, a jump start a head start on the uh, on those that aren't playing in postseason for next year. That voice you hear is Gary Dolphin, uh, Iowa play by play, joining us here on the Hordy's Hotline here on Sharp and Benning in the morning. Gary, I, I'd like to expand if you can, and I don't know how much information you have. Are there any of those second or or third team guys, red shirts that you're excited to hear information about as they get the chance to practice leading up to this bowl game? Are you talking about Iowa? Yeah, Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not really. I mean, no. honestly, honestly, uh, Iowa plays. Uh, they played ten true freshmen this year, and they played probably uh, three or four uh, redshirt freshmen regularly. Uh, I, to, to answer your question, honestly, I, I think the guys I was anxious to see, we've seen. You got I to mean, see uh, Manny Manny Ragumba. Manny Ragumba had a had a terrific game against Nebraska in that first half till he, he broke a bone in his arm, uh, or up around his clavicle. Uh, he's the kid who had back to back weeks of interceptions. He's the one who peeled the ball away from uh, Michigan's outstanding wide receiver late in the game that uh, that got Iowa in position to win that game. Uh, he's a terrific talent. There's another kid on the other side. Michael Ojemudia is his name. So we got Ragumba and Ojemudia coming forward <laughs> to replace those senior cornerbacks. Uh, the, the safeties, uh, you know, the big question coming into the year was not Desmond King, but, but what about the rest of the guys uh, either hadn't played, they had to replace both their safeties. Uh, and Brandon Snyder, a kid from Northwest Iowa, uh, and uh, Miles Taylor stepped in and had done a terrific job. The linebackers, you knew what you had. They've got good linebackers coming, as always, at, at Iowa. And then the other, the other kid I wanted to see was uh, Anthony Nelson, a redshirt defensive end who had a terrific year. Uh, he was kind of forced into playing early when when Parker Hesse got hurt. So most of the most of the newcomers uh, that I wanted to see on the defensive side of the football, we saw because they were forced into playing because of all those injuries, and now it's made Iowa a better team. Gary, last question here, and we'll let you go. Uh, so uh, running back LaShawn Daniels has already eclipsed over a thousand yards, and Akron Wadley behind him is just a few yards away from eclipsing a thousand himself. Um, in your time calling Iowa football, is this the best overall rushing attack that you can remember Kirk Ferentz having? Yeah, no, no question. And uh, I think we probably could have said that last year, and maybe the year be well, not the year before, but probably could have said that last year. But Daniels couldn't stay healthy, uh, and and so in steps Jordan Kanziri, and I think he rushed for eight or nine hundred yards, if I remember. And so Iowa doesn't get away from what they do, and that is that zone stretch that play option read uh, or uh, run pass option read and and I think it benefits uh, the athlete as much as the athlete benefits the system but LaShawn Daniels has been hurt since the day he stepped on campus and he stayed totally healthy this year 
he's had ankles, he's had shoulders, he's had uh, you know neck sprains, and but the way he runs, uh, he's he's going to get injured more often than most. But you know, he's a downhill guy. He's the inside tackle guy. He's six feet one, two hundred and twenty-five pounds, and then Wadley is uh, really gifted at one ninety-five in terms of speed and moves and. So here they are. Uh, I, I don't know that Iowa's ever had two 1,000-yard rushers in the same season. you got to go a long way back. Oh, it was all the way in the 80s, I think it was, Gary. Yeah. yeah. You know, it might have been uh, might have been uh, Mosley and Tony Stewart, uh, as I remember. But uh, th- this is without question the best rushing attack, and I think the hardest-working tandem, given all the injuries they've had in the offensive line, guys. Uh, they really have stuck with it. They have taken their shots. I mean, I, you go back to with North Dakota State, uh, Wisconsin, uh uh, Northwestern, I mean, uh, pick a game, and, and they couldn't run the football consistently because of injuries in that offensive line. They lost Kittle, you know, midway through the season at tight end. He's he's one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. Well, now they're back. Now they're healthy. And I look for good things here uh, next week. Gary Dolphin, Iowa play-by-play voice. Gary, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Hey, guys. Happy New Year to you and all the Husker fans. And good luck to you in your bowl game, bud. Yeah, and good luck down in Nashville. It's a great city. Hey, sounds like it. I wish I was down there. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Oh, Thanks, Gary. It.